0: In a few weeks' time, we're coming to Australia and New Zealand for the Cosmic Shambles Live Tour. Uh, We've got lots of guests there, including Helen Chersky, Matt Parker and Lucy Green, and lots of uh, musicians and comedians. If you'd like to know more about that, then go to CosmicShamblesLive.com. I'd better just finish this gummy bear. This gummy bear takes a lot longer. It takes a lot longer to eat gummy bears
1: (laughs) when you've got braces.
0: You How long have you proper.
1: got braces for? Oh, it's
0: ridiculous, I had them tightened the other day Why? Not uncomfortable. Yeah, You're not 14 I am I'm going through one of those phases <laughs> <laughs> I've had some of my brain removed so I can presume that I'm perpetually uh, 14, I wouldn't want to be perpetually 14, oh, god that nice. was awful It's a confusing time uh, Well emotions. all times are confusing yes. but it's trying to yeah. work out isn't it when you were most confused Do you ever find that you think was well, very confusing now <laughs> but I think I was more confused before. That's what I find difficult. But anyway, we've got to start an instruction. Um, do you want to hello, open? Hello, hello, hello,
1: hello. This is the voice that I say hello to dogs. Hello, hello. That's what I say to a dog. Do you when do you like that one on the street? Hello, um, hello. This is Robin and Jacey's book shambles. I need to uh, preface this. Um, episode with the fact that I got back yesterday from Vancouver and I am weird.
0: Yep, she is quite weirded out, I would say, and so this is going to be, I would say for listeners, a very interesting hour. I We don't know what will happen.
1: For, for exa- uh, Now, I was in Los Angeles, not a big deal, why bring it up, chill out guys, and I was doing... Just gigging in LA, yeah? Just gigging in LA, guys, it's so... oh, it's wearing me down. I was doing this gig and... It was part of a festival and they gave us a goodie bag. And at the end of it, in the goodie bag, there was a can of cannabis drink, THC drink. <laughs> yeah. Now, i it's been so long since I encountered cannabis in any form, right, whatsoever. And I was talking to one of the other comedians and she was like, oh, I drank the whole thing and I had a panic attack. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. If you're going to touch it, have a sip. And I was thinking, well, I'm not going to touch it. I don't want to hurt myself. But then I was staying in this Airbnb, which was ghastly, and the only Airbnb I've ever left a negative review. And even with that, three times I said, I hate to leave a negative review. He seems like a friendly man. Anyway, I was back in the haunted Airbnb, not feeling great. So I was like, do you know what? I'm going to have a sip of the cannabis drink. So I had a sip. Nothing happened. had another sip. Nothing happened. Drank about half, half the can. Then thought... There may be a delayed response here mm. and I'm not, not back to. it. Yeah, the end. digestive thing is slower mm. than that, yeah. So I poured it down the sink because I thought I don't want to make uh, any further mistakes. Oh, what
0: a silly thing to do.
1: And then an hour later, I was so unstoppably stoned in a manner that I simply... <laughs> have not encountered for 15, 20 years, and I didn't know what to do, that I put myself to bed, because I'm 34 years old. Well done. put myself to bed. <laughs> so
0: today's Book Shambles is brought to you by Cannabis Drink, <laughs> our sponsor. Uh, we have with us uh, theoretical physicist uh, Faye Dack, who I first met at the, I think Glastonbury Festival was the first place that I did anything with you.
2: I think that's true. What an awesome place to have met.
0: It was an awesome place to do. it lives
2: in my memory.
0: It was really bizarre, wasn't it? Because we it were was. in the, the cabaret tent, which was, what, four, 4 5,000 people, people yeah. when it's all opened up. <clears throat> are you doing Monkey um, Cage? Yeah, we're doing Infinite Monkey Cage. At show. noon. <laughs> At noon. <laughs>
2: On the Saturday of Glastonbury.
0: So people are a little bit damaged already. <laughs> sure. They've, they've had a few days. They've had a few days running. And then it was one of those quite, I would say... Difficult if you're not a practicing theoretical physicist. Conversations uh, about certain elements of the probable laws of the universe. Sure. Uh, so the audience are kind of going, yeah, I kind of get it, but but that they, means were so I- they, they were so good, they were great.
2: You could he- you could hear a pin drop. They were attentive. They weren't behaving like you might imagine the crowd on the Saturday of Glass- Saturday afternoon in Glastonbury would be behaving. They were, yeah, they were wrapped. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it was a weird conversation because also because of the in the background was who's the fellow with the ginger hair who was a very popular musician for a while kind of slightly uh... Ed Sheeran? Not Ed Sheeran. Newton Long, thingy. Newton Faulkner was playing quite loudly and apparently it was quite cross because our producer, Sash, kept sending back notes saying, we were promised that whoever was playing opposite would not be playing loudly, so apparently Newton Faulkner kept getting these little notes saying, you've got to play a little bit quieter, you're ruining the physics. <laughs> and uh, then there was... Uh, but because we couldn't really hear each other, because we were quite far apart, so it was like, so explain again the probability of gravitational waves. Well, let me... And it was back and forth, so it was, it was a beautiful thing. Um, But anyway, that was the first time and then since then, of course, also done a documentary with you uh, about uh, general relativity.
1: Yep. He was a great guy. And Thanks, uh, (laughs) Thanks, guys.
0: That's the cannabis drink, (laughs) Duncan.
1: I slept for 14 hours afterwards, straight through. So I have nothing wise or interesting to say and I feel terrible about it.
0: But I think you've given us some very good advice. If we are given a free drink that would technically be illegal in this country.
1: If you're given a free illegal drink... Sit by sit basis, without <coughs> in between.
0: Right. The first thing I want to talk about, because we want to throw is uh, you. When we did the um, general relativity show, uh, I briefly mentioned an idea. I think it was kind of the way that Alan Moore had interpreted uh, the block universe, mm. and you then had a conversation uh, with Alan over mm. the phone. And one of your books in the pile of books mm. you have is Watchmen. So mm. when did this you? This is my
2: totally shameless plug. To get, I brought this along to remind you that you promised that you will introduce me to him, oh, and that I can get to meet him. And he uses so. This currency. is why I brought. Oh,
0: it will work. Out, no, because he would. Please, uh, he is uh, very easily drawn <laughs> towards people who uh, are able to elaborate on the laws of physics. Mm. So, so what, when did you get drawn to? Because I mean, I, I knew nothing about that until I suddenly mentioned Alan, and you went, "Oh, I love Alan Moore." Mm. What was the first thing?
2: That was my husband, my now husband, Jerome, whom I met at university, and up to that time I had read a lot when I was a kid and I read a lot of all everything you can imagine, from Agatha Christie to Jane Austen to um to Emile Zola to but I had never read a graphic novel. When I got to university I kinda of stopped reading, but then when I met Jerome he introduced me to to graphic novels and in particular this was the first one I read what a great start I know exactly and then I thought uh, most of them don't quite come up to the heights of Watchmen but yeah but I was hooked then and yeah so that is a problem
0: isn't it where you go uh, if you're introduced to something by one of the best works a little bit like if you've been introduced to Emil Zola as just being he's just one of the 19th century romantic fiction writers uh, and you think oh I really like 19th century and then you'd find out there's quite a lot (laughs) <laughs> it's Not as good as the Beast in Man.
1: So what? what... There's quite a lot of Emil Zola that's not as good as the Beast in Man. Oh,
0: I don't know. What Emil Zola are you going to diss then?
1: <laughs> oh, okay. I knew this is would it, happen. Is it Therese racan that I'm thinking of?
0: It's very gloomy.
1: Yeah, but it's it's, it's kind of faltering and episodic. I'm sorry. I mean, I've not written anything as good as. Is it Therese Racan? I'm thinking. Therese
0: Racan is where there's. uh, This isn't. You don't need a spoiler alert, so I won't tell you. But it's basically about planning a murder. uh, Two lovers plan the murder of the husband, and. uh... That's
1: nowhere near as good as The Beast in Man. It's
0: not as good, but it's still bloody great. It's okay. Oh, silly of you to diss Therese Camp because you're jet lagged. You're
1: going to really regret <laughs> this. The truth I think is coming that, right yeah, out the, now. The
0: mixture of your fun, soft drug drinks and your <laughs> I'm so ruined brain. i so So, what was it about uh, Watchmen though that you just because it's packed with ideas? It's and I, I packed with that...
2: ideas. That's what I love, and they all come together in such a satisfying way. So, for example, that you know the the comic book within the comic book yeah. that you. You read alongside reading the actual story. You read it with the boy who's getting the comic every week at the comic stand, yeah. and that is the story of Watchmen. In it's the the pirate story, and it it turns out that that is the story of the whole of Watchmen, just in a different form. And in summary, but and you don't realise that until the end. Yeah, and it packs such a punch. So yeah, just all those things woven in together is really fantastic.
0: What about the science in it though? Because by mm. that point, so at, at this point, were you still studying physics at university when you yeah. first read it? Yeah,
2: I was doing my PhD at that time. Um, I like science fiction, and I, I suppose it, yeah, it wasn't so much the um, the science that that grabbed me about about Watchmen and um, the yeah the there are. Issues to do with um, determinism, uh, which are particularly brought out in in um, Doctor Manhattan's character, because you know he knows everything that's going to happen. So often he's he's narrating what has what has happened, what is going to happen, and he's aware of it at the same time as 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 the present, as far as the story is concerned. So that all those things bring in issues to do with 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 whether the universe is. Indeed, a block in which everything that has ever happened and everything that ever will happen is simply there, and we're just tracing out our our trajectory through it. Which is, I think, what Alan was setting out in our brief conversation that we had, and I think is what he has ex he's been describing in his new book, but well, uh, which I haven't read. So
0: of, it, it's a it's a commitment.
2: Yeah, it's I, a, commitment. a commitment that I'm
1: again faltering at because I. I started reading it, I read the first hundred pages, I loved it on holiday and then I went away and it was too heavy to put into my suitcase and I felt gutted. And then I even considered cutting it with a knife or something (gasps) and taking a bit of it, (laughs) but then I thought, "Mm, nah, this isn't going to end well.
0: Yeah, it's not a travel book. Unless you are particularly engaged to the idea of having sciatica perpetually, but it's um, well, well, I
2: so wonder. It's heavy.
0: The block, it's it's yeah, it's and and then sometimes you look at it and you think, well, it's not that big, I suppose, really. And then you look at the size of the font and you go, it's big, it's
2: very yeah, big, it's very but big.
0: The block universe, which mm. is, I mean, in in Jerusalem, it's basically that. Everything that's ever happened in Northampton, you know, it is that thing, it's just stacked on top of each yes. other. And when you go to Northampton again, you then go, Whoa, you really, because every, all of the different landmarks, everything you see around. So, can you explain? Because for a lot of people, including me, and and I would imagine a lot of the listeners and possibly Josie as well, the block universe is, what's the best, when does that come up as an idea? Because I think for Alan, he said it was with, uh, when he, he read something, Einstein.
2: So. Mm. so it's an old philosophical idea, going back to, as to Greek philosophy. I mean, since we have records of what human beings were were thinking about, we have records that they were thinking about such a such a thing as the block universe, in which the universe just is, things don't happen, but the the universe is just a single entity and it doesn't change. That's the um, and then. In contrast to that, the sort of uh, opposing view, if you like, the the antithesis of that um, is the view that the world becomes. And those two perspectives, those two ideas were, you know, they were competing ideas from, you know, 500 BC when we first have records of Greek philosophers thinking about these things. So it's, it's actually an ancient tradition of thought and it's being played out right now in theoretical physics in general relativity, which is our best theory of space time, which seems to, to sway more towards the being side of the debate. So the idea that the universe just is, and is unchanging, rather than the becoming side. So maybe I think Alan's probably referring to a quotation from a letter that Einstein wrote to a letter of condolence that he wrote to the widow of one of his very best friends. Um, his name was Besso, and he wrote to this woman saying that, um, of course, to us who know about physics, the di- the distinction between past, present, and future is just an illusion, albeit albeit a very persistent one. Mm-hmm. So he's making a claim there that the events of the future are have the same physical status in cur- our current understanding of physics as if the events in the past. Which is a view that many physicists now hold, and it's one that that certainly many philosophers hold too. So, so Alan's in good company. I don't hold it, so that's yeah. I'm I feel feeling. like nah, nah. It's you got you got
1: the stuff nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I genuinely feel like it, even if I, oh, even if I were to sort of be like, I feel as if I have some grasp of that and I understand it every part of how I want to perceive the world is going to fight against that. Yes. Like, every part of how I want to interpret the world is going to be, like, things become, things change. I'm never going to want to use that as my framework for understanding the universe. Do you know what I mean? No, I do, but I think that
0: it's that part of the... the, Sometimes the collision between... Uh, possibilities in in science and how we live our lives like when whenever you read about free will and whenever you read about you know how much of a control the 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 units of 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 kind of us is in charge of ourselves compared to every all the other systems which are not our consciousness you kind of go yeah free will really seems to be taking more and more of a back seat here but it's pragmatic to just go but I'm going to pretend it's all still. So yeah, the idea yeah, of you going. Exactly. But I quite like that because I, I think that was the thing, wasn't it? As you were saying, which this idea that there's just this line of our existence and we just live over and over again with no change, with no, or or not over and over again, but it's just always there, no change, no déjà vu, nothing that then gets in the way of uh, us just going there. It is again. There it is again. There it is again. Can in some ways give you some kind of strange solace, even if ultimately it's not a very
1: which is I, like Glastonbury a bit. <laughs> <laughs> because every time you go back to Glastonbury, you're surrounded by all your previous Glastonbury's and it exists constantly. It's yeah. all Glastonbury's. Ah. And then you go home again and you're separate from it. But th- that's the time when I most feel as if nothing
2: changes and it's all Very gone. good, very good, Josie. So you put your finger on something which is that in a in an, an, a different point of view in on physics, something which hasn't yet, kind of come to be in in our th- theories but it's something that I'm working on <laughs> the past is real so the past exists so in that we can find our solace so all the past events that we have experienced they're all real they're they're there they still influence us so it would be crazy to think of something that could influence us that isn't real so so because the past does influence us it's real it's it's real so so there's you know there's solace in that and there's also kind of scariness because everything you ever did wrong is still there but then all the all the love you ever had for for someone that you've lost for example that's all there all those events are still there so there's there's the solace but the difference in my point of view and I think it's something that you feel strongly about that the future doesn't exist yet yeah that's how I feel right it's open that there's the there is a distinction between the events that have happened physic they're physically different to the events of the future because the events of the future just they haven't happened yet yeah. See, that makes perfect. Sense. It does, doesn't so it, that's, it? It that's, does exactly. It's yes. so clear. Yes. So that's that
0: also will bring in the time travel thing. That time travel may well, well, is happening obviously in one way because we appear or we're appear, all it, traveling we forward, very slowly, but that we're never able to go back in time. <laughs> that, that, as far as I know, that's the current thinking in uh, in in physics. Predominant thought is that a time machine will never be able to take you back from where you've been but Hang on, it may well but change it could stuff.
2: take you forwards
0: yeah but that's also about i presume that's about also the speed that you're traveling and all these things
2: mm-hmm. where you, yeah, you we're, we're all traveling into the future right now sure. i tell my students that we're traveling in space time at one second per second <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they think it's a joke but i'm saying no no it's really in fact there's an equation for that and yes it's true what robin said that the the rate at which we travel into the future, in some relative to everything to other things in the universe, can be different. I mean, we always time passes for me, for example, always at one second per second, and for you, Josie. So you will never feel that time is speeding up or slowing down, except of course psychological time when you're bored or excited. But but your your watch will always just tick away at the same rate as far as you're concerned. But the Time can pass at different rates relative to someone else. So, for example, if you go off in a spaceship very, sure. very fast to some distant galaxy and then come back again very, very, very close to the speed of light. Then enormous amounts of time can have passed on Earth. Oh, that kind of time travel. Yeah, that <laughs> kind of time travel. See, so you can travel into the far future in Earth's history if you want to, but you have to go away and come back. But
0: still, oh. time travel.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, you have to get is. out of your
0: Victorian front room, like in the film with the you yeah, know Rod Taylor. Just goes. I'm now going to press the button. Yeah,
1: that's what I was disappointed by. I was like, uh yeah, but that just makes like that's just that just makes sense in a normal way. What I want is for someone to say. Exactly that. like do you, you mean he's a lazy box... time
0: traveller? Yeah, just... I want to <laughs> be able to just sit there. <laughs>
1: <again>. <laughs> exactly, press a button. Well, you're going right. right, you're
0: doing one second per second. That's all right <laughs> then, isn't it? <laughs> the, um, that's, that bit about the, the also time layered I, I've chatted to someone today, uh, today who has a, a physical condition in their brain which means that sometimes uh, there are moments where all sense of time is gone and everyone exists at the same time. So all those people who've gone, who no longer exist in his life, they're all in his perception. And, it, you know, it's obviously very disconcerting. Yeah. It's, it's a physical condition of his, actual, you know, of, of his brain. Mm. And
1: uh, Can you explain that more? Because...
0: Well, it's as if. So all the narrative of that kind of like moving forward and change and death, it's, it's now just, there is just this line of time and uh, his children are alive and his great grandparents are alive and his grandparents are alive and everyone he's known is alive and everything is and I don't I, it's very hard to perceive mm. what he is perceiving at mm. that time which again is not physics that's about I, I suppose again how our brain is mm. uh, geared up like you were saying I want to believe that this is just kind of the way it is yeah and then I, you might have some kind of damage that means suddenly that's not yeah it doesn't it's not how you perceive how it is
1: yeah which is terrifying to think that suddenly one day you won't be able to navigate the universe in a manner that's in any way like comforting or deal with
0: This is probably a little bit too much for the first podcast <laughs> yeah. after your jet lagged come back. And we were gonna just start with the night,
1: late fluffy one. <laughs> but um well, why don't we ask you more about the books that you've brought? Oh yeah. Oh, I wanna
0: stop before you get there. No. Can I also ask you about the mindfulness thing you were saying, which I oh, stopped yeah. you before mm. we came in here, but I was interested if oh, you yeah, do an experiment on mm. your uh, um on the students mm. where they have to do something and then if they and then sometimes you decide decided that they've got it wrong, mm. it's just they haven't perceived <laughs> it so you do what what's the mindfulness lecture that you do
2: right so I want to try to teach people that you can bring everything to science, including your everyday experience and that our best understanding that we've gained through science has to be consistent with our experience. It it does have to be. If it was inconsistent with our experience, then we would throw away the theory. But that our experience can actually guide us. So it's it's more than just a sort of uh, check. It's actually something that can guide us. And in fact, I want to take Josie's conviction that things happen and that the future is open and the events of the future aren't real yet as a guide in actually pushing physics forward. So I, I use this particular example as a case study saying that we could have made progress in physics a lot quicker than we did if we had paid attention to our experiences. And the particular experience that I point to is the experience that we're all having right now in our bottoms sitting on our chairs so I get the my audience to meditate on their on their butts so (laughs) which takes a little while so first we have to do some breathing and I'd love it if you were like and that's
1: why I was fired (laughs) (laughs) so
2: and Um, and so I get people to you know to breathe and concentrate on their breathing and then and then focus their attention on their on their backsides and then that's what I'm doing right now, by the way, yeah, good. and then afterwards, I ask them what they felt, and I try to elicit a completely sort of visceral immediate reaction, What did you feel in your butt and some sometimes they get it right, and <laughs> sometimes they get it wrong in the sense that it's not the answer that I want, right so I mean I can't say that they got it wrong because maybe that was what they experienced, but but that yeah so i'm 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 trying to get from them a particular response.
1: Oh no, now I'm scared. Well, of yeah, just yeah. So, to what do you feel leg. in your bottoms? Well, I can just feel a bit of tension and the pressure of sitting is because I haven't good really been pressure. Okay, that much. pressure, pressure. I like
2: that word. Okay, so give me a direction.
1: Oh no, I'm going to get it wrong and then i no, 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 just
2: just just the first thing Pre- pressure, which way? <laughs>
1: It's, don't, it's think, don't think, no, no, don't think. Yeah, yeah, don't think, don't think, don't think.
2: Just, just press it against. No. Ah, uh, you pointed upwards. Ah! <laughs> is that wrong? <laughs> no. yes. that's, that's the answer I want. So, so in fact, it's interesting. People with no physics training, generally speaking, give the right answer. People with physics training think, oh, Newton's laws, action and reaction, opposite, blah, 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 and, and very often. Just don't, yeah, get it wrong, right? So in fact, it's true. You are experiencing pressure right now, upwards on on your butt from your chair. Right? Right. There is a force, a physical force, pushing up up on you. And what you don't experience, I, I claim, is any force pulling you down. You don't experience it. Am I experiencing that? No, you're not. And that's a mystery as far as Newtonian physics is concerned, because Newtonian gravity says there is a force on you pulling you down. It's the force of gravity that the Earth exerts on you pulling you down. And it's there physically in the Newtonian theory. So you should be able to feel it. Or if you don't feel it, you have to explain why you don't feel it. But in, the, in Einstein's general relativity, which is a better theory, it's a theory that replaced general relativity, there is no force pulling you down. You don't experience it because it doesn't exist. And in fact, in the Einstein theory, Einstein's general relativity says that there is a force right now pushing you upwards, and it's the force you can feel on your butt. So our our direct experience of forces, what do I feel, what do I not feel, is leading us away from, it points away from the Newtonian theory and towards general relativity. And every single human being on the planet would have had that daily experience, and had that daily experience you know, since Newton proposed his theory of gravity to the moment when, when Einstein himself realised that there was no such force. But someone could have said, hey, but Newton, why don't I feel this force pulling me down? You say it exists, but I don't feel it. And he would
1: have been like, that's because you're not a scientist, <laughs> so you don't understand. Yes,
2: it. probably he would.
1: Shut up, but- I'm making my gold.
2: <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? Not very well, thank you. <laughs>
0: I'm surprised they put me in charge of the mint. The, um, <laughs> that's weird because the first time I did that with you, and on a few occasions since, I've had that sense very strongly... The push up, mm. but this chair, which is a little <laughs> bit broken and has one of those levers that allows you to go up and down, feels so slumpy that I think this chair itself has, is a Newtonian chair, <laughs> a, is, as opposed to an Einsteinian. Very disappointed
1: Chairs, absolutely. Um. It's classic stand-up. Two types of
0: chairs, do you know. <laughs> what is it with chairs?
1: But then, do you worry that people then might take what what you're kind of explaining and use that in a manner that might be, like, sabotaging... I'm like. i thinking about the way that sometimes people react to medicine in a manner that's really, like... Yeah, but actually, I don't agree with that for whatever reason that I've decided. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you worry that people will take the sort of things that you're talking about and use them in a perverse fashion?
2: No. I mean... <laughs> Good. No. I think all one can do is say what one's best understanding of things is. I mean, if people... People will twist anything if, they. You know or can twist anything, yeah, so yeah, I no, I think it's more it's opening the way to science for for people, I hope, yeah, to yeah. say that you know our that common sense that intuition can does can and does play a role. It's like with maths so. when you
1: realize that patterns in nature are the same as patterns that you learn about, mm. like geometrics and stuff like that. It's the most wonderful thing because you're like, it's real because it's real <laughs> yeah, in the
2: world. It, it is real in the yeah. world, that's right, yeah. And that's primary. I mean, there's a debate about whether maths exists to be discovered or whether it's something that we create. And I, I can't speak for work... I'm not a mathematician, but mathematicians often describe their feelings and say that they feel like they're discovering structures that are already there. But I think it's... I think it's much more constructive than that. I think we do we create mathematics rather we create worlds of mathematics, rather than discover worlds that are already there. But yeah, and they they're abstracted from our experience in the end.
0: Isn't the main thing that that with the the use of feelings is that. The feelings though isn't the end point of the yes, science. That's that you it. go oh, right, if you go, right, oh, yes. oh, I've got this feeling, and you go, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great starting point. Now let's test the feeling. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah that's yeah. it. Yeah. But if you just keep with that, no, no, no. It's definitely a gut feeling. Yeah. I've, been, on,
2: I've been online, so I've sorted that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, that's right. So yeah, so Einstein had a lot of work to do after after realizing that there wasn't any gravitational force. He had to say, well, what? Why do the planets move in their orbits then? Huh? So if you had to, yeah, go further. That's why I'm not a scientist, because I'd be like,
1: well, I've had the idea. Let someone else follow <laughs> it up.
0: It's all I'm sitting busy. down with you. I've covered relativity in the chair, and now I'm going to invent the time machine, which has not involved me having to travel quickly around the universe, so you all get old while I stay lovely.
1: Exactly, and now I'm into yoga, so I've moved on from that fad. So you follow that up.
0: <laughs> the fad of general relativity. <laughs> um, so let's have a look then That's at the books that you've bit. got. So
2: you, oh, why did you stop reading? Do you, do you have any... Good question. Yeah. All sorts of reasons. University was really tough for me. So I arrived, I mean, having done spent my entire life just reading books and doing sums at the age of eight and spending every single summer holiday in Skegness. I arrived at university. You've just left that hanging as if that's a no, like, why were you in Skegness?
1: Were oh, it's where my grandmother lives. Yeah. Oh, wow. Lived. So that yeah, was, yeah. gosh, okay. Yeah.
2: So I didn't know much about the world. <laughs> I'm just trying to paint a picture here. Sure um and yeah arrived at university and yeah it was kind of for a shy person it was quite and a woman at cambridge doing maths and there weren't many of us it was quite a shock I have to say so it was it was a troubling time yeah what was and the And yeah to stop oh like very like yeah. I wasn't I didn't have a single woman lecturer not one in 3 years gosh yeah, and I think out of all the supervisors that you know, tutors and whatever, I had maybe one or two, which is low key undermining at all times. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't recognise it at the time, but I think back to it that time, and I think yeah, that was probably one of the reasons that I, I kind of had a hard time. <laughs> well, I. Think and you, I you yeah, don't I realised that you. Now I'm going to tell you something really shocking. So, I became a fundamentalist Christian. Did you? Yeah,
1: because it was something to sort of cling—not cling to his. Room oh, well, the Christian
2: it. Union was really, really friendly. Huh. <laughs> and yeah, and it was—they were a ready-made community. Yeah. yeah, and they always used to ask And up I stopped reading books and went to Christian Union meetings instead. Yeah.
0: So, how did you find any, in terms of the science study that you were doing? and then I presume in in that world you are able to even say perhaps that the mathematics is some kind of you know the language of God or something does that come into it or or are they just entirely separate things?
2: I don't know, I I look back and I'm very bemused by the whole experience, I mean it was yeah, I had a I wanted there to be justice in the world Mm. I looked at the world and I saw there was no justice and I thought well maybe this could be consoling to think that there might be justice in the in a next world so there was that I think but yeah mostly it was a social thing probably and, and it's I way forced getting... myself to believe things I literally forced myself to believe things in order that I might participate in that community yeah and then and then I just dropped it after three years because, so is that how long because I all... um started reading Watchmen and I realized that I didn't need I didn't need um
0: that's when you became a wizard. <laughs>
1: hey, uh,
0: shall I follow yeah, Yahweh or Dr. Manhattan? I shall follow Dr. Manhattan?
1: But they're also intensely pressured environments. Like, I think, you know, especially like when I, I, went, I went to Oxford and I found it to be like so incredibly like difficult in every single conceivable way at the same time. I think you do find things that you go like, yeah, this this thing will kind of get me through this, I think. Definitely.
2: Yeah. Um, For
1: me, it yeah. was uh, that's Life magazine in abusive relationships. So <laughs> yeah. I think you got a better deal out of it. <laughs> well, I
0: suppose mm. in some ways the politics that's going on now. Well, we see quite hardcore of people who, not that long ago, we would have considered to almost be extremist right, really, and they're they're on popular TV shows. They still kind of are thing. extremist but, right. Yeah, yeah, no, but what I mean is that they they are now within the mainstream, whereas before we would have now. I'm not. Yeah, like I'm not Nigel saying Farage, that and that for some <laughs> of the people that you may well ha- end up having aggressive conversations with on the internet, one of the reasons may well be that they do feel, for whatever reasons, disenfranchised enough that they've gone. As opposed to going with a fundamentalist Christian group, they've gone. Yeah. Oh well, this fundamentalist, you know, the, these right wingers allow they me to come for tea you. and digestives. So, exactly. Now that, that's one of the things I suppose we need to get to the, the the bottom of in terms of the the last few things that have happened politically. But in America th- and, it's and more the US. than that
2: though. They're very well funded. I mean, mm. the, someone's buying the biscuits, and organizing the Koch brothers are. You know, they have billions of dollars worth of funding for these so-called grassroots organisations. Yeah. So they are, you know, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't come from nowhere. So <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah.
0: I just can't, that thing where you go, that person has never given a fuck about you or, you know, any of these, you know, when you look at someone like Nigel Farage, the idea that he cares about people... Yeah to me, seems in the same way when someone broke it down in America that day when they were just saying what is it which has allowed people to believe that certain elements of the Republican Party are they're the people. You know, when it's Millionaires, people who are, have been born immediately into privilege, who mm. have dodged their taxes, who have done all those things. And yet the elite are that guy who was brought, brought up in mm. Hawaii by his mum, yeah. and the peanut farmer, and again, the, the other person who managed to get to uh, Oxford. Well, it's anti intellectualism. It it's a bizarre it? thing, though, isn't it? Which is, you go, oh, yeah, so, but everything, all evidence seems to say that these aren't the people.
1: Yep. Who well, it's really like the Daily Mail you. saying Theresa May savages the liberal elite. When it's like, well, Ther- <laughs> look at who Theresa May's husband is. Look at who runs the Daily Mail. You know, I, I think I feel like I have a horse in this race because I'm like, oh, yes, I went to uni and like leave me alone. I, I'm not, <laughs> I just, I, I'm just trying very hard <laughs> to have a nice, civilized life here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm joking really. But like, I am, um, yeah, I completely agree. But Is I feel like we've very, come off topic. Already. Sorry, yeah, we have. But it's, just, it's
0: it's such a weird. I mean, do you find again as uh, someone in,
2: it's manufactured with... though, isn't it? As you say, I mean, they they control the media, mm. so they're pumping out constant barrage. People are swimming in a sea of this of this of these lies. So and it's very difficult to fight against them. So they're, they're just they're they're organized and they're well funded.
0: It's a great Terry Pratchett mm. line from uh, that someone sent me the other day. Uh, a lie has gone around the world before the truth has got its boots on. Mm. And that's always that incredibly difficult thing, isn't it? Which is going to counter a lie, you actually do want to use evidence because you want. And I'm, I'm, I keep thinking, do, do people who are. I, I don't even want to use terms like left and right or if that. Anyone who is pro tolerance. Mm -hmm. Uh, that they just go we're going to have to work out a way of being a little bit looser sometimes with the the truth because we just need to act really fast so we're going to go we'll we'll just have to take this one for the time being because we definitely reckon and that's a bizarre situation to end up in
1: well it's bizarre that like yeah that I you know it's that thing of that guy who got hit in the face and that man advocates genocide and murder and then you find yourself as somebody who doesn't want to be a violent person being like yeah, but why do I have to have an argument with you about whether or not it's okay to punch someone who's advocating murder? Like, this is not fair. Just, there are other things for us to worry about. Like, yes, that, that guy got hit in the face and he didn't die, so just chill out about it. <laughs> no.
0: It's like people who get more annoyed about swearing... When people are arguing about the uh, the immigration ban in the US, and they go, I think we can stop swearing, thank you. And you go,
1: one is this huge, yeah. And, and the other <laughs> These is are the people who are being but... sent back to death, you,
0: yeah, yeah. George Carlin anyway. was right. He says that in Brain He says he, he he has a lovely life and he loves his family, but this is a a, a doomed uh, in, in, endeavor. So he kind of he loves individuals and he hates all the groups that they belong to. See? Sometimes I go, well, I've only got another. If I can get as old as George Carlin, that'll fit me. Delightfully.
1: I don't think I agree with that because I just love millennials so much. <laughs> Except for some men on the alt right, they on the alt right. Except for the Nazis. Apart from millennial Nazis, who <laughs> should stop straight away. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, yeah, sorry. We made to in Well, Indonesia. that's the
0: trouble, isn't it? It's really hard sometimes to get away from the very the the, the strangeness that that we well, live it in.
2: Is. Look, I brought. Um, I think one of the reasons I stopped reading novels is I read this. Mm. Oh. Right, manufacturing consent yeah. by the classic by Herman and Chomsky, and I couldn't re I couldn't read books again in the same way, even novels. I mean, you know, I, I I so as a child I read the Lord of the Rings I don't know twenty times, or and I I had that experience of just completely losing myself in a book, and I can't do that now. When I read it, I think, oh, that's racist, and I. You know that that knowledge of the world, that that understanding of things in the wider context, and uh, yeah, it's it's spoiled me for many books. I think I yeah. can't. Yeah, there are lots of things I just can't read with the same complete and utter pleasure and and um, yeah, being lost in it again. So, I had that sort yeah. of realization. So that was an eye opener for me.
1: Yeah, I so- had a, a sort of thing like that with um Suddenly realising that most of the course I was taught, the people who wrote it were men with religious and kind of social beliefs and behaviours that I would totally abhor and being like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, that's why I felt anxious reading them all the time. That's why I didn't connect to it. That's why. But then when I what I find now is when I do connect with a writer... You know, especially when the writer is, like, a woman my own age. It is the most incredible experience mm. because it's, like, it's rarer. And and I had a similar thing. So I, I tried to diversify my reading for these sessions while I was away. I was like, I'm going to read a horror book. I'm going to read a new science fiction book. Turns out there was nothing in either book that I could underline and repeat to myself. And turns out both of them were very much written from a bloody male perspective that I could pick holes in constantly yeah sorry
0: (laughs) that's an interesting there's a thing on the on the bfi player at the moment the female gaze you know that whole thing was it laura mulvey who uh came up with that idea that in films and and you can stretch that out into other but the film is is the male gaze so because the you know vast majority of directors the vast majority of cinematographers are male we're always seeing it through you know male eyes
1: were yes. men And
0: that is a yeah, an interesting thing. I checked my privilege again the other day. Bloody hell! Did you, you got loads
1: of oh, it, mate. Hell, have <laughs> no, I got a
0: lot. The, have I got a lot?
1: There's this process of realization. where as a woman, you suddenly go like, "Oh, I've been really alienated by all these things. I didn't realize. Constantly, when this has happened, I've had to switch something off and change things. But I feel like I've trivialized what you're talking about because also what you're talking about is kind of. A mass system of controlling people, which is like different, I suppose.
2: Oh, I think they're all, yeah, they're part of the same structure. Oh yeah, so, pa-
1: patriarchy is yeah. part of hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, so
2: yeah, in the way the world is organised right now, it's in terms of in terms of power relations. So yeah, patriarchy is is one of those power relations, as well as yeah, class oppression and racism. So yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I, th- I think manufacturing consent is. Th- I remember when I first read it and you go it's it's anything which is a toolkit for you to be able to, I mean as you said it, in some ways it may spoil certain things because you go ah I can no longer revel in this because I've begun to notice the things in it which do not have you know, which have values which are against what you believe you believe in. But anything which goes here's something which helps me understand why I believe what I believe, why I should believe what I should believe, and how I should test what I believe mm-hmm. and why mm-hmm. this source is one that I depend on and what how I should be able to question that. What's it the talking about this the other day, that Murray Gellman uh the gelman amnesia effect, which we might have mentioned before, which is one of my favourite things. I don't read newspapers anymore, but it was it's this thing that when you read something about an area that you're, you know, know a bit about mm. in a newspaper and you go well, this is all rubbish. Mm. This isn't, you know, <laughs> for you, yeah. it's the universe and uh, theoretical physics. For us, <laughs> it's the stand-up comedy circuit. Oh. <laughs> oh, isn't it awful? Like, when you see
1: a film about a comedian, you're like, pff, 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 no no one will prepare like that. <laughs> what he, he wouldn't have a notebook like that. <laughs> yeah, sorry.
0: It's that line in Punchline where, uh, you think everything's a joke, that's why you're a comedian. I think nothing's a joke, that's why I'm a comedian. Like, no, no, that's not I mean. How can I turn that into a joke? Yeah. But that that moment where you just uh, where you go, that's all rubbish, and then you turn the page and you go, mm, that's very interesting about what <laughs> that man did, and you go, why do we believe that the thing that we know about, which it turns out it's that report's all wrong, mm. that then everything else is not going to be as wrong for anyone who has any level of expertise. Mm-mm. No, I think it's a very interesting um But um, you must
1: have been annoyed at the end of it like Chomsky, you ruined my fun. <laughs> it's like
2: taking the red pill or was it the blue pill in the Matrix? It's like oh, yeah. you know Once you've ta- once you see the way it is, you can't go back. It's it's you know, you you can't say, No, I'm gonna forget all of that, now I'm going to go back to my nice... But then that's nice. what
1: scares me about things like the alt-right neo-Nazis is that they also use that terminology and it's this idea of like... and and Things like Farage being popular is you go, wow, I see all this injustice I see all this control and instead of going like, well, how can I try and sort this out in a more humane way they go, Nigel naja Farage, he's a man of the people he'll sort it out, you know, or like these horrible men online they'll sort it out and it's like no We're, it's, it's the david Icke thing of like oh you've pointed out all of these things and now you've gone to lizards and yeah. like, no.
0: i bought another one of his books the other day i've no, got to stop myself stop i always do the same thing i read i read the first no they are always bought from like you know charity shops and stuff so i'm funding wells so what's that that book this
2: is a Responsibility to Awe is a book of poetry by the astronomer poet Rebecca Elson. She died very young, tragically, um, of cancer. She was only 39 oh. in 1999. And I think her poems are really beautiful as well as capturing science and being a scientist as well. And so the poems are lovely, but There's also scraps from her notebooks um, and parts of um, her diary as well at the at the end, and then a little autobiography that she wrote about her career, and it's very yeah it's very comforting and lovely and moving, and she ends her little autobiography with saying someone once said to me astronomy is like a big circus tent there's room for everyone. I feel privileged indeed to be able to spend my days inside a tent with such a dazzling roof, and yeah, I think it's a great discovery. It was given to me by um, a physicist friend of mine, Adrian Kent, and I am very grateful to him for introducing me to her.
0: And the other you've got, I know you've got some of the books that you are still from your your
1: children's shelf as well. Yes, my children's
2: shelf. Yes. Um, So yeah, I said that I read voraciously when I was young. And so, yeah, I was just looking through all my children's books this weekend and I just pulled a couple off the shelf. Um, and one is called Moonfleet. Have you read that? That's oh. by J. Mead Faulkner And it's a, yeah, it's a, an adventure story set in the 18th century about smuggling smugglers. A 15-year-old boy falls in with some smugglers.
1: We had this exact edition when I was a little kid. I think and I it's, it it's just
2: a great adventure story there are so many really wonderful kind of set piece exciting scenes in it and yeah I really love it it's
0: I've never read it but I think I've seen the version with Stuart Granger
2: yes I think yeah there's a mm, movie of it what's the other um the other one is Elidor by Alan Garner Alan Uh... Garner who only wrote a few books um but, yeah, I love every one of his books. And this one I particularly like because it's set in Manchester where I grew up and it even mentions some of the roads near my house. Um, That's
1: the greatest feeling, especially yeah. when you're young. <laughs> I opened... Um, I, didn't, I didn't read it all because I I think it was just too old for me. I opened um, the Buddha of Suburbia when I was 13 and it's, it's like, I was on the 227 bus and I was like, oh, I've got the 227 bus! And I was like, it feels too fated, I think, yeah. when you're little.
2: And the thing about... Alan Garner is that his I mean it's fantasy but he has that perfect control of the fantastical elements that makes it completely believable so and Ursula authors like Ursula Le Guin, Le Guin have it as well that that you know if you have if you have magical elements in your world then you have to create create that world so that it's it's believable that the magic goes so far and not further. Yeah. So you can't just wave your wand and, you know, and then all the baddies are defeated and, you know, in one fell swoop. I mean, it, it, you have to create the situ. you have to create a believable u- whole universe, yeah. a whole world picture. And, and you have to I,
1: have thought through the logic of it flawlessly. So that- Yeah,
2: the logic and also the backstory. So, I mean, Alan Garner is well known for having huge knowledge of local history and myths, mythology, and, and he brings all those elements in in a very subtle way, which, you know, you, you just feel that there is, there's a world there and, you're, you know, he, you're, he's just showing you a, a small part of it. Well, so, I, yeah, I, love, I lo- loved sit. those, and I will happily sit with a cup of tea and reread them. Is it Redshift? And, or yes.
0: Because I saw that quite... I've never seen it. And that's almost like Block Universe, isn't it? Yes, because there's uh, that's Manchester half of it, yep. isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. He sets uh, pretty much all his novels are set around Manchester Alderly Edge edges, where the some of his other um, other children's books are set. So yeah,
0: you'd like Redshift. It's great. Leslie it Dunlop's are. in it, uh, and it's it's about a young lad who's really into astronomy and the relationship he has with the girl who has to move away. Oh, yeah. great start uh, and it's I'm but right it's, it's also got two other periods of time as well so it's got a time which is oh, like like, it's like in kind my of garden. civil Warish time i think and then uh like the, the uh, a time of of kind of early um primitive um homo sap you know kind of
1: uh like bias. moon dial except oh, going further back
0: It's really i'm going to watch it again and your final book, we uh, is... um
2: final book is a book of letters by Einstein to a friend of his called Maurice Solovine, and they are lovely and moving and touching. So they met when they were both young in Bern. Solovine was a student, um, from, and he decided he wanted to learn some physics, and he answered an advert that Einstein had put in the the local newspaper, (laughs) offering lessons in maths and physics for three francs an hour. (laughs) So he he left university, needed some money. Um, So this was a way of earning some money. Um, But when they met, they just became instantly friends. And then the two of them, so this was in 1902, and then they gathered around them a set of sort of five or six um, friends who would meet regularly. They called themselves the Olympia Academy and there's a little introduction to the book, to this collection of letters by Solovine, and he describes some of the things that that they did. So it says, Our dinners... So they met for dinner. Our dinners were models of frugality. The menu ordinarily consisted of one Bologna sausage, a piece of gruyere cheese, a fruit, a small container of honey, and one or two cups of tea, but our joy was boundless. Together we read Marx's Analysis of Sensations and Mechanics, Mill's logic, Hume's Treatise on Human Nature, Spinoza's Ethics, some of Helmholtz's memoirs and lectures, Ampère's Essay on philo- in Philosophy, Riemann's on the hypotheses which serve as a basis for geometry, some chapters from Averroes's Critique of Pure Experience, Clifford's on the nature of things in themselves, Dedekind's What are Numbers, Poincaré's Science and Hypothesis. We also read literary works such as Sophocles' Antigone, Racine's Andromache, Dickens' Christmas Tales, most of Don Quixote, etc.
0: And that is what we're now going to do for the rest of this series. Oh,
2: that would be great! Because
1: each
0: yeah. week, we'll just you know fly through one of those.
2: We should. And they, they, these were they were they were just interested. Yeah. They met as friends, and they they. Their aim was to increase their knowledge and increase their own relationships. So they, you know, they wanted to do both. And Einstein paid tribute to this this group throughout his whole life. And there's an, a very moving ode that he wrote to it um, in a letter to Solovine um, in 1953. So you know, many decades later. So he says to the immortal Olympia Academy. In your short active existence, you took a childish delight in all that was clear and reasonable. Your members created you to amuse themselves at the expense of your big sisters, that's the universities, who were older and puffed up with pride. I learned fully to appreciate just how far they had hit upon the true through careful observations lasting for many long years. To you, I swear fidelity and devotion until my last learned breath. So, yeah, he calls what they did a the Academy said he claimed shed a pure and inspiring light on him so it was thank yeah. you
0: very much we'll that's end beautiful. on that that's beautiful that's... thank you Fay Jack for coming along and uh, that re- a responsibility to all in particular I have to admit, Rebecca Elson I, I well, there's a lot of the things I knew nothing about that looks incredible uh, thank you very much for listening uh, we will uh, during the month of uh, February and possibly beyond we're going to be giving away uh, two boxes of books uh, every single week one to uh, a Patreon uh, supporter and one to a PayPal supporter Patreon supporters get a slightly bigger box actually so there we are <laughs> uh, and uh, for this particular episode uh, we are going to give a box of books to uh, Holy Leads. it says. It might be Holly Leeds, but it's down here as Holy Leeds. So, Holy Leeds, uh, you have won uh, a box of books. And uh, I'd also like to thank uh, some of our patron supporters, who are Holly Richard, Zoe Mitchell, Ben Hall, Ian Simpson.
1: Stephen Poozy, Paco Garcia, Mark Granger, Matthew McLeod.
0: We should probably give one of them a box of books because there's going to be two boxes of books going away. So I'm just going to pick... Right, right. Just put your finger down there. One, right, There we go. Right. And that thing, it landed on... Uh, hopefully uh, that Ben Hall um, is in the UK. If you if you are Ben Hall, then you've also won a box of books. Thank you very much, Fodac. Thank you very much, Josie Long. Uh, bye-bye.
1: Thank you so much. Oh, it was a pleasure.
0: If you want to know the reading list from this podcast or indeed any of the other over 50 podcasts that we've done, then you just need to go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.